That's what they had been speaking on. So I said, I'm not writing another message. This is it. (laughs) So anyway, I want to talk to you tonight about wounds. How many of you ever been wounded? We've all been there. And if somebody has not been wounded, I really would like to meet you because I would like to see the glory of the Lord upon you. Perfect person that has never been hurt before. But we've all been hurt. This morning, Sister Ethel had given a word, and she talked about how we need to praise the Lord on the mountaintops and praise Him also in the valley. She didn't know the scripture that I was going to share tonight. So if you'll turn with me in 1 Kings chapter 20. 1 Kings chapter 20, and in verse 28, there was, we're going to talk about Ahab for a little while, King Ahab. And this guy had prophets that had surrounded him. I do not understand why he went his own way. He was influenced by his wife. and uh, But he went his own way. But there was two prophets in particular that the Lord began to speak to me about in uh, 1 Kings chapter 20. And the first prophet talked about in verse 28, it says... And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And I put that in perspective of today's terms. See, whenever we're on the hills praising God, it's like we're on a spiritual high. We have these exalted experiences of life. We have spiritual excitement. There's a move of God. We feel the presence of God. Things are happening. We're excited. We're excited on the mountains. We're excited on the hills. And then we get to the valley and we're not as excited. And you know, the devil, it said that the enemy said, the Syrians said... They worship the God of the hills, but not the God of the valleys. So what we're going to do, this is the purpose and plan of the enemy, is to get you down into the valley, because in the valley you don't worship the God of the valley. So if I can get you in the valley, I can wound you and defeat you. And that's the plan of the enemy. And a lot of times we go through the valley of the shadow of death. And we're not praising him like we were praising him on the mountaintop. And so the enemy comes in and tries to wound us when we're in the valley. But he said, thus saith the Lord, he is the God of the valley. And so if we'll begin to rise up, even in the hurts and pains that we go through, in the valley times, in the dry times, in the dark times, in the long painful journey times, If we'll begin to rise up and praise the Lord, even in the valley, we will show the devil that he is the God of the valley. And we will defeat him. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. And then there was another prophet that came and he talked, uh, he, he, he had a prophetic word and it just impressed upon me. But let me tell you a little bit about this before I give you the prophecy. So they come out and they're fighting the Syrians. And the prophet said, 
to King Ahab that you are going to conquer them. You're going to get the victory. And so they did. They went out and they conquered. There was uh, 32 different uh, cities that were fighting. And uh, King Ahab and his forces conquered them. But King Ben-Hadab escaped. And so as he escaped... Word got back to King Ahab and he says, oh, well, maybe this is supposed to mean that I'm supposed to be a brother with him. And so they brought him in and Ben-Hadad said, all the cities that my father took from your father, I'm going to give them back to you. And I'm going to give you a, a road to Damascus where you can set up trade and financially prosper. This will be for you. So they made a covenant together. After they made a covenant together, here comes another prophet, the word of the Lord. And it says this in verse 35, And a certain man of the sons of the prophet said unto his neighbor, meaning one of the fellow prophets, In the word of the Lord, smite me, I pray thee. And the man refused to smite him. So then, as it goes on, let me tell you real quick what happens. He says, well, since you refuse to obey the word of the Lord, you're going to go out and there's a lion in the way and he will kill you because you disobeyed the word of the Lord. And you think, well, that's severe. But the Lord wants us to obey his word. Amen. It's important, even though we don't always understand it. See, this little this little fellow prophet, he didn't understand why this prophet wanted him to hit him. But he didn't obey. So it says then uh, in 37, he says, then he found another man and he said to me, Smite me, I pray thee. And the man smote him so that in smiting he wounded him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king, by the way, King Ahab, by the way. And he disguised himself with ashes upon his face. And as the king passed by, he cried unto the king and he said, Thy servant went out into the midst of the battle. Okay, remember the scenario. They were out at battle. So he had one of the prophets hit him. And he disguised his face with ashes so that he looked like he was fighting in the battle. And he says, And behold, a man turned aside and brought a man unto me and said, Keep this man. In other words, he said, Somebody told me, gave me a prisoner and told me, You were in charge of this prisoner. And if by any means he turns up missing, then thy life shall be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. And thy servant, he says, I got busy here and there, and all of a sudden he was gone. And the king of Israel, Ahab, said unto him, So shall thy judgment be, thyself has decided it. And he hastened, and he took the ashes away from his face, and the king of Israel discerned him that he was of the prophets. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I am appointed to utter destruction, talking about Ben-Hadab, that he made a covenant with him, and he did not destroy him. He says, Therefore thy life shall go for his life, and thy people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house heavy, displeased, and came to Samaria. And what the Lord began to speak to me out of this passage of Scripture was, How many times we have been slapped and wounded without a cause. It was not your fault. Some of the things that you went through was not your fault. In your innocence, you were slapped, maybe in your childhood. Maybe you went through physical abuse, verbal abuse, spiritual abuse. Maybe you were raped. Maybe you were violated. Maybe you were neglected of basic needs. Maybe your parents were on drugs and you went three days without food and that hard heart began to set in. 
and, and you survival begin to kick in. You had to just push through in life. And those were wounds to your heart. And, and maybe you were abandoned at times. And in your innocence, you carry guilt thinking, well, maybe it was something that you had done. Maybe it was your fault. Well, I want to tell you it wasn't your fault. You were slapped. You were wounded without a cause. Not without a purpose, because the prophet was slapped for a purpose, but he hadn't done anything wrong to be slapped. It was a prophetic thing that he was going to turn around. Amen? So he put ashes on his face to disguise himself. And that's what happens when we're wounded. We begin to disguise ourselves, and nobody knows who we really are. Ashes were used during grief in the Old Testament. They'd put ashes upon their head. And so here he goes. He's got the ashes. But when he wipes away the ashes and reveals who he really is, things begin to change. Amen? It's time for us to take this as a prophetic act to relay a message to the enemy that we wipe off the ashes of depression, victimization, hurt, words, and reveal who God has called us to be. That we take our wounds as a prophetic call. We say, well, I don't know what I'm called to. What have you been wounded in? I saw uh, Brother Brad Hightower come up and pray for this little fellow soldier that had lost a friend today. That's exactly what I'm talking about tonight. Is where you have been wounded, you have been called. Amen? If he had never gone through it, he couldn't minister as effectually. He knows the pain. Don't let your pain be a waste. God does not want you to sit victimized. He wants you to take it and to press through, find somebody else that hurts the same way you hurt, and begin to minister. Amen? Pronounce judgment on the enemy of your soul and war, the good warfare. Amen? So you've been hurt. Everybody has been hurt. Everybody has been wounded. But turn that around and say, this is my prophetic call. Because I was hurt that way, that's what I'm called to. Amen? And I will do everything in my power to see that someone else does not hurt the same way that I was hurt. Amen? And that is the beginning of healing your wounds. Whenever we found out that uh, Brandon was autistic, I was totally devastated. Um, I can't say that I felt full of faith the whole time. In the beginning, it was very, very, very hard. I was confused, and I didn't know what we were going to do. That's the first thing you say, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to cope? How do you do this, Lord? I don't know. I'm in an unfamiliar territory. So what I did was I got some books. People don't like to read so much anymore, but I got some books that talk about autism and I got some books that talked about what other people go through when they have autistic children I began to read I began to read for my own wounds and I get a call one day as a pastor's wife people call because they need ministry and on the phone is a lady that I had never met and she didn't know my situation and she's crying and she's needing ministry and she says I just found out that my daughter is autistic. 
And I remember telling the Lord in that moment, I said, this is not fair. This is not fair. I don't want to have to minister to somebody going through the same thing I'm going through. This is just too hard. I need somebody to minister to me. But you know what? To my advantage, I had already read some things, and I did not tell her that I was going through that. Because it wasn't about what I was going through. It was about what she was going through. She was crying, and she was in need. And so I began to tell her little stories that had ministered to me. I had something to work with. And I began to pray with her and minister. Do you know I prayed for that little girl like I wouldn't have prayed for if I hadn't been going through the same thing? It was as though it was happening to me. The intensity of the prayer. And that's what, that's what we need to see, that whatever you're wounded in, that's what God wants to pour out of you. Amen? Pastor had, uh, his, had told the story many times of how his mom died of cancer. And we were minister in, ministering in Mexico. A little Mexican lady come up and she said she had just gotten diagnosed with breast cancer. And she had x-rays. And she wanted him to pray for her for the cancer. And it was in the breast, the same place his mom had died of cancer. And he said he just fell against the wall. It was just too overwhelming. And he said he felt like blankets and blankets were covering him and smothering him. But all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord rose up within him. And the blankets began to come off. And he prayed for that little lady. And he declared war against cancer. You see, he turned his wound into his call. And we saw 19 documented cases of cancer healed on the mission field. And I think we've lost count here. But you've even heard of the testimonies here of cancer being healed because he declared war on his wound. Amen? Turn the thing around. Amen? Get revenge on the devil. We're so focused on flesh and blood, it's not about flesh and blood. That's not where we need to get revenge. We need to get that revenge on the enemy that's coming against us. Amen? And that lady came back, and the x-rays were clear, and there was no cancer. I tell you, it was a time of rejoicing. When my brother passed away, there was another... You know, just because we're ministers doesn't mean that we're exempt from wounds and pain. We go through our fair share like everybody else. My brother passed away, and during that time, we had... uh, There was four... Four deaths in ten days in the church, and it was, a lot of us were staff members. We even had somebody come in and answer the phone because three of us were staff members. Uh, family had passed away. And it was a very hard time. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, now, Lord, how can I even begin to minister to them whenever I'm so devastated myself? How do you, how do, you do this? And so what I would do is I would begin to get the word and I would begin to focus because everybody's death situation was a little bit different. My brother's was a murder case. We had another that had had died of cancer and and she was struggling with the faith message. You know, We, we, we all had our struggles in some area and I began to focus and say, Lord, I need a scripture to encourage her. I need a word to encourage her. And as I would begin to search the word. For her wound, I wouldn't think about my wound. 
and I would get relief. You see? I began to turn that thing to somebody else's benefit because I knew how bad it hurt. And I didn't want to see anybody else hurt that same way. So that's how we have to flip the thing. Amen. Amen. Job chapter 34. Job 34 verse 6. How many of you know Job had his fair share? Or maybe I should say had his unfair share. Amen. (laughs) Job 34 6 says, he said, should I lie against my right? My wound is incurable without transgression. In other words, he's saying, I can't lie. I can't tell you that I was at fault. I'm not guilty. I didn't do anything to deserve what I'm going through. I can't even figure out what in the world could I have done so bad to deserve what I'm going through. And my wound goes down so deep, I don't even know if there's a cure for my wound. Have you felt that way, that the wound goes so deep? Will I ever get over this? Will I ever recoup from this that I'm going through? Look in chapter 9. Chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. He says, For he breaketh me with a tempest, that's a storm, and multiplieth my wounds without cause. He will not suffer me to take my breath, but filleth me with bitterness. That word wound there means to pierce with an arrow. And in verse 18 it says, He won't even suffer me to take a breath. That means there was one blow after another blow. Almost like the story of Paul this morning. What more can possibly happen? One blow after another blow. Whenever you are in the worst of the worst situation, that's when the devil likes to kick you down. Do you know whenever Jesus was sweating great drops of blood, that was the time that Judas decided to betray him? Of all times, when he's travailing and in excruciating agony, that's whenever the devil comes to pour on more agony. And that word wound is things that can go all the way back to our childhood where we were pierced even though we were innocent. Because he says, without a cause. He multiplies my wounds without a cause. I was thinking about people who get acupuncture. You see, they're full of needles. And the needles are placed at the pressure points. And they, they can even walk around. They've got all these needles. Poking in them. Because that's the pressure point. Well, that's what the devil does. He finds your pressure point, And that's where he sticks you. But it doesn't relieve pressure. It adds pressure. You know, children will believe everything that their parents tell about, tell them. Everything the parents tell them, they believe that to be the truth. And what happens is we get wounded because we believe that to be the truth instead of the truth. That beca- that's a lie that we believe to be the truth. And so wounds to our emotions are like wounds to our body that cause a cut. 
The wound can become infected. When we have a, a, a spiritual wound or a wound uh, from some past circumstance that becomes infected spiritually, that's called demonic oppression. And we can be wounded to the point that we allow spirits to come in us. And we need freedom from that. Second, we can have a wound that becomes sore. It's very sensitive and it hurts each time it's bumped. It hurts when you think about it or talk about it. Every time you see a similar situation, your wound gets bumped and it hurts. As we were talking about Job, uh, Job had boils that had covered his body. And, you know, boils sometimes need to be lanced to drain the infection out. We even use the terminology, we say, well, it's about to come to a head. A boil has a head. And until you get to the head, you can drain out the infection, but the infection will come back. Because you've got to get to the head. Amen? And so it is the same way. With our wounds. Look in Psalms 109, verse 22. Psalms 109, 22 says, For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. The word heart here is the center of the emotions. And the word wounded means, now listen carefully to this because you will identify. Wounded means to profane, to defile, to pollute, to prostitute, to make common. The word prostitute there, think of a prostitute. What is a prostitute? It's somebody that their life has no value. It's something that someone uses for their own benefit to make common. And if, if we say, oh, that person's just a common person, in English it doesn't have quite the significance that it does in Spanish. In Spanish, when you say somebody's common, es común, that is just one of the most degrading words. Because to be common means you have nothing special about you at all. You're just common. Nothing special. It means to break. Desecration of something holy. Wounded. Do you know, um, I'm going to give you a bad example. This is not even holy, talking about the images of Baal, but they thought it was sacred. The Baal worshippers thought it was sacred. But I just want to say this as a... I just want to put an arrow in the devil because he aggravates me the way he picks on innocent people. And you can just jot this down in 2 Kings 10.27. But it talks about uh, when one of the righteous kings, I think it was Jehu, uh, got into office. And he set up a plot, and he said, I want to call all the Baal worshipers because we want to honor you. And it was all a bad plot. He was a righteous king. 
And he gets all these Baal worshipers, and then he says, take them alive, and I want you to destroy every one of them. What he was doing was plotting a plan to get them all together. But my favorite part about that story is, after he did that, he tore down the Baal temple, he broke Baal into pieces, and the stone that was used as Baal was turned into a latrine. Do you know what that is? Oh, I like that. Come on. Amen. Take that, devil. Amen. You got to think that way spiritually. That's desecration. Okay. Now, if somebody did that to our church, that's desecration, isn't it? Can you see desecration of the holy? Okay. That's what the devil has done to many of you. He has come in and he has desecrated your temple. And he's done that by wounding you. The center, the heart, the center of your emotions have been wounded. And the word within is the seat of my thoughts, my desires, and my laughter. The Bible says that laughter is like a medicine and, sin, and we don't laugh anymore. The devil has taken away your laughter and therefore you remain wounded. Because he's desecrated you. Well, I tell you what, it's time to turn the tables. Amen? Hallelujah. And declare war on him. You know that scripture in Hebrews 12, 15, you don't have to turn there, but it says, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause you trouble. Anytime you allow a wound to turn to bitterness, you're going to have some trouble. Amen? It's not going to get better. It will cause you some trouble. Let's look at Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30, 17. Everybody knows the scripture. Jeremiah 30, 17 says, For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord, because they call thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeketh after. Oh, my. He promises to heal us of our wounds. Bring back health. Restore soundness. Amen? Have you, have you ever felt like an outcast? That rejection. No, we don't want you. But it says they called them an outcast. Called. Have you ever been called names? I bet if I asked somebody to volunteer to tell me the name that they called you in school that hurt your feelings, almost every one of us has a name. They called you a name and they called you an outcast. But the Lord promised to heal. Amen? Some of those names remain. And some of those names need to be healed. Amen? Amen. That was their opinion. They used you as a sounding board for their own ego. That's not the truth. Outcast means to be pushed off and withdrawn. We have a good friend of ours named Dante Gebel in Argentina. And he's a great evangelist. He packs out coliseums, 50,000 people at a time. And he says whenever he was young, he wanted, soccer is the big thing in Argentina, and he wanted to play soccer so bad. 
And he was scrawny, and nobody would pick him for, his, for the team. And a lot of times he'd just be sitting on the bench watching everybody else play, and nobody would pick him. Those were wounds to him, that rejection, because nobody wanted him on, his, on their team. He says, but you know what? He says, I rent the football stadium now to play all by myself, and people come and watch me play. Hallelujah. Amen. He plays for Jesus now. Doing a whole lot more than a football game. Satan's goal is to bruise your emotions so that he may blind your mind and your will in order to control you. See, it's a type of control because eventually he'll destroy you. Your ability to hear and serve God is affected. See, if he can hinder you from serving God, he's got you just where he wants you. And it's not people or circumstances that cause our problems. But it's how we react to those circumstances. Amen? The first time you were hurt, and I want you to remember what I'm saying very well, because I want you to go back tonight and through the week and begin to try to meditate on different scenarios in your life. The first time you were hurt a certain way, you had a reaction. Whatever reaction that was. You may have screamed, you may have cried, you may have gotten angry, you may have cursed, Ooh. you may have withdrawn. You may have acted like nothing happened, that was your denial. But you had a reaction to that hurt. So, it set a course in you that every time you're hurt that way, you react the same way. And then we don't know why we act the way we act you got to go back and figure out what was the first thing that happened to me that made me react that way. So we say, why do people need anger management today? Because they get angry at anything and everything, and it's constant. They need to go back to the wound, to the first wound that caused that reaction. And whenever they can go back and get that wound healed, things will begin to change so that their reactions change. That's the only way you can manage anger anyway is you've got to go back and deal. How do we deal with those things? Well, I'm going to give you some, a, a few little things that you can do. But rebellion is the number one reaction to rejection, hurts, and abuse. And we see kids that rebel all the time. Why are they rebelling? Well, maybe they were rejected. Amen? So, we want to walk in the fruits of the Spirit... And we try to walk in the fruits of the Spirit, and we continually fail. I'm trying to use self-control, and I'm trying to be gentle, and I'm trying to be kind, and I'm trying to walk in love, and I'm having trouble here. Why am I having trouble? Because I have not been healed of certain wounds, so I can't walk in that because I've got to go back to where I started this course of action and reaction. Rejection is the root of almost all emotional problems. The first one, self-rejection. That is an inward wound. And a lot of times we reject ourselves. We think we're stupid. I could have done better. I'm a loser. I hate myself. All of the things we do to ourselves that cause us to reject ourselves. And then there's a fear of rejection. That is the outward reaction and how we relate to others. People who have a spirit of rejection automatically reject you before you can go ahead and reject them on your own. They already secure that action. So, 
I wrote a few symptoms of rejection here. I don't know if I'm going to go through all of them, but easily hurt, oversensitive or touchy. If you get your feelings hurt really easy, then you've got some rejection at work in your life. There was a little two-year-old girl that asked her mama for a Snoopy Band-Aid. And her mom says, well, what happened, baby? She says, my feelings got hurt. Wouldn't it be nice if a Snoopy Band-Aid would fix all of our hurt feelings? Flip over in Jeremiah 37. The second one is resentment, bitterness, critical, and judgmental. If you have uh, trouble being critical, judgmental of others, or fight resentment, that's a symptom of rejection. Jeremiah 37.10 says, For though ye had smitten the whole army of the Chaldeans that fight against you, and there remain but wounded men among them, yet should they rise up every man in his tent and burn this city with fire. In other words, if you could go back and retaliate and get back at every person that has done you wrong, Though you had smitten the whole army, the whole bunch of them that fight against you. And then they all remained wounded. They're all wounded. Guess what? They're still going to fight with fire. They'll still rise up and come back at you. So retaliation is not the answer. They'll still find a way to get at you. So we can't use that form of response. Okay, let's see which ones I can choose here because my time is ticking. Let's turn to 1 Timothy 2.8. There's fear of what people think. There's feeling like everyone is out to hurt you. Those are symptoms of rejection. What about, we'll do bad things to gain approval or get attention? We see that in peer pressure. But adults, we also see that in adultery. A lot of times adultery is not caused by he doesn't love you no more. It's because he wants attention and approval. And he's out to get it in using bad behavior. Force religious performance. First Timothy 2.8. I would... I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Ooh, we've read that scripture a whole lot of times. But the word holy there, this is my favorite. The word holy means righteousness, and it only has one root. If you trace righteousness back, it only has one root. It only has one root. God is righteous and just. And when we lift up holy hands, righteous hands, it goes back to God. Number, the second one is hands. We got holy, then we got hands. When we lift up our hands, that means a surrendered spirit. This is, this is how God wants us to worship, okay? Holy, surrendered spirit. Without 
Wrath means no desire to punish one who seems to have hurt them in a manner that he ought not. And it also means punishment for man. Aristotle said it was desire with grief. What kind of hands does God want us to raise to him? Holy, surrendered hands without wanting to get revenge and hurt someone because of what they had done to us. And it says, and without doubting, and that means, and without an angry spirit. But sometimes we come and we lift up our hands and our hands are full of wrath and doubting. That's called forced religious performance. We're raising our hands just because everybody else is. That's not what God wants. Amen? So we need to surrender to him. Um, you know, Proverbs eighteen fourteen talks about a wounded spirit. Who can bear? The Lord says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That word easy means fitting. His yoke fits. But when you yoke up with something else, the yoke does not fit. When the yoke does not fit, it irritates, and it blisters, and it pulls muscles, and it strains. But his yoke fits. It's comfortable. It's light. It's like there's nothing there. But a broken spirit is a yoke that is very heavy, and it will wear you out. That's not the yoke that God wants us to yoke up with. Amen? And then, of course, there's addictions, uh, and that's our form of escape. Drugs, alcohol, food, tobacco, rock music, sugar, caffeine. Uh-oh, I shouldn't have said that one. And Luke 10, 34. <laughs> we'll do that one fast, okay? Especially sugar and caffeine together. We'll do that one real fast, you know. I've had a little bit of sugar and caffeine, though. No. <laughs> Luke 10, 34, you don't have to turn there, but it's the story about the Good Samaritan. And it says that he found this man bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road, and it says that he went and he poured in the oil and the wine. The wine, man, there's, the wine is a whole message in itself. But let me just tell you, the wine is symbolic of the blood. In the Old Testament, it was blood for blood. So he finds this guy bleeding, and he says, I'm going to pour in wine. Blood for blood. In other words, it's an act of forgiveness. Let's forgive. doesn't matter who did this to him. Let's just cure him. Amen? Wine makes laughter. Did y'all know that? Give your friend just a little bit and let's see what happens. Wine makes laughter. Amen? The Bible even says wine makes glad the heart. I don't want y'all to go out and give your... Friends, wine. This is all spiritual connotations. Amen? Uh, And then it says oil. Now, there may be salves and balms that they would use, medicinal purposes. But you know what another definition for oil is that I really liked? Oil gives light. They used it to burn for light. So the Holy Spirit enlightens or gives revelation to our hearts concerning our need for truth in a wound. Because some wounds can be fixed really quick when you apply truth. You've heard the truth 
sets free. Amen? That's John 8.32. And I always thought, that's right. The truth, you know, the truth that you know sets you free. You've heard all those teachings. And I always considered it to be, it has to be the Word because the Word is the truth. But uh, let me tell you something. You have been told many lies. And it doesn't necessarily have to just be the Scripture truth. It just has to be the truth and not the lie that will set you free. Now, I found that a lot in counseling. A good example of that is I've had people come that may have been adopted. And that spirit of rejection has embedded in their heart that they weren't wanted, that they were thrown out and rejected. And I'm like, well, do you know that to be the truth, that they rejected you? Is that the truth? What if... She was 15 and she was forced to give you up. What if she was dying and she decided to give you up? You don't know the scenario. So just knowing that there's another truth out there, that it may not be rejection at all, that sets free. Amen? And so when you were called names, you might have been called a loser. You'll never amount to nothing. You'll never do this. Stop thinking of, if it was a parent, don't think of that person as your parent that tells all the truth, because your parent's human. Think of how your parent's parents were to your parent. Does that make sense? Look at them through the eyes of a different person and see, did they have love to give to you? Did they get love to pass love on? Find some truth to your wound. Amen? Instead of just believing, I didn't get. They didn't tell me they loved me. They didn't encourage me. They didn't do this for me. Find a truth to apply to all those lies that you've been living with and telling yourself to be set free. Amen? Amen. We need to recognize the true source, Satan, has caused the wounds and influenced your reactions to the hurt. He lies through people you love. And causes you to paint a false self-image. But the truth makes free. And then we need to repent from our responses. If you were angry, repent. And the more you practice responding a different way when you're hurt, the more you overcome that thing and God changes you. Um, We were watching a little show. I don't know if you ever heard of Vince. Papali, he was, uh, 1976, he played for the NFL, for the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, he, he had very low self-esteem and he had a lot of struggles. And he had lost a few football games and he was in his locker room and they were getting ready to play and he pulled out a note that he had been carrying around. And it was a note from his ex-wife. And the note said, you'll never make it. You'll never make any money. You'll never make a name for yourself. And he tore up the note. It's time to take out the notes and tear up the notes. Amen? He made a touchdown, his first touchdown that game, and they won the game. And so if you're going to have some victory in your life, you're going to have to tear up the lies of the devil, especially the word never. Never again, devil, will I allow you to lie to me. Never again will you lie to me. Amen? And then we've got to uh, 
Repent. Did I say repent? Repent takes away all legal ground for Satan's oppression. And then we need to forgive. That's the hard one. But forgiveness is a choice. Let me tell you what else forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a crisis of the will. It's not easy. It's difficult because it pulls against our concept of justice. And we'll say things like, well, why should I let them off the hook for what they did? But the problem is that we're still hooked to them as long as we don't forgive. And then we need to let God deal with them fairly. Something we cannot do. Something we cannot do. We can't deal fairly. Because the emotions get in the way. So you have to let God do that. God is just and he will deal fairly. When we don't forgive, we're not forgiving for their sake. We're forgiving for our sake. Amen. That's God's gift to us. Forgiveness was what God designed to set you free from what's attached to you. Amen. And so we don't have to live with the wounds We can get to the point where we can talk about our wounds and they don't hurt hardly at all anymore. They get to where it sounds like it was somebody else's story. That's when it's really good. That's when you know you're healed. That it's an experience, but it's like, did I really go through that? Wow. It does not even hurt at all anymore. I've been set free. And it's by the grace of God. Amen? Well, I I wanted to really touch you tonight and minister, not minister, preach, but minister healing to you in the areas of wounds. Uh, Would you pray with me real quick? Uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just cover this body with the blood of Jesus. And I just pray, Father, that your healing anointing would go into each and every Wounded area of their hearts, their minds, their emotions, their will. And Father, let there be a cleansing of the wound. And let there be a healing of that wound in the name of Jesus. And Father, I just pray for an anointing on each one. That they would rise up and take their rightful stand in you. And right now in Jesus' name, we renounce and we repent of all that we have unforgiveness against anyone, Lord. We choose to forgive them. We renounce the work of the enemy in our life in Jesus' name. And I come against the spirit of rejection in Jesus' name. Right now, I take authority over the spirit of rejection and we push back the forces of the enemy from off of their minds and their lives. In the name of Jesus, we break the power of the enemy. We break the stronghold of rejection. In Jesus' name, we command you to go, you spirit of rejection. You will not defile the body of Christ anymore. In the name of Jesus, we are accepted in the Beloved. He accepts us just as we are. He loves you just as you are. And I thank you, Father God, for healing your people tonight and setting them free. In Jesus' mighty name, we praise you. Amen. Amen. She's a certified Christian counselor working on her master's degree.
what I want to share with you about that, the Word of God says that a sorrowful spirit dries up the bones. But we are in Ezekiel 37 church where the dry bones, because of hope deferred, is becoming an army of the Lord. And my heart is burning more and more as we had lunch with someone today. And what is the vision of the church? We have in this church some people who have been hurt and devastated and torn places of their life. And what I see is one of the mightiest armies arising. And we were at this conference and we were with Brother Tommy Barnett. You may have heard of him. And he told a story of a young lady who went to Hollywood seeking fame and to be an actress and didn't make it and ended up having to become a prostitute. This man who was a pimp took her in and said, I'll take care of you, but, you know, you will have to sell your body. And she did for a while, and then she got pregnant. And then she had this child, and she fell in love with this child. And the pimp was getting real mad because she was spending so much time with this child and kept threatening and threatening her to finally, he said, if you don't leave this child alone and do your job and make me some money, I will kill that child. So you have no child to go home to. But she, she tried to, but she kept going back to her child till finally the pimp went to the house, pulled out a gun, put it in the baby's face, and killed the baby. Then they grabbed her and they got a curling iron. And they said, I'll fix you to where you will never have a child again. And I thought, that's the type of world we live in. We have a world around us that we don't know the, the hurts and the pains of the people. And if we have been such a hurting church, it just may be that we can make a change in a hurting world. And take these wounds like the message tonight. And take these wounds... And turn them into tools and become a prophetic people that, yeah, I've been wounded in the house of a friend. But now I have opened my house to be a friend. So that I can love you and minister to you and I can get down where you are and help you. And Jesus, Jesus, is in his people. And he is out for us to be able to heal and touch the lives. And give people a new hope and a new start. A fresh start and what they do is on Friday nights they take young ladies who have got this this woman who lost her child her child was shot and she she was hurt so bad she she ministers to prostitutes and what they do every Friday night Saturday night they take roses and they go to the streets of uh, Hollywood and they go up to the prostitutes on the streets and they give them a rose and they say you are so lovely you are so beautiful you're such a lady and we love you. And so many times they start crying. And then they tell them, would you like to get out of this lifestyle? And would you like to be taught a, a, a job and make something out of your life? And they said, I would, but right over there is my pimp and he'll kill me if I leave. And they'll say, listen, do you want to get free from this? If there's a way, would you be free? And they say, yeah. We're going to pass by in a white van. And we're not going to stop because we can't, but we'll slow down. And we'll open the door. And if you want to get out of this, as we slow down open the door, jump in, we'll catch you, and then we'll take off. And many of them say, okay, I'll be standing right here. And they come by, and, and they open the door, and some of these ladies will jump in. And then they take off, and of course, the pimp gets in his car and takes off after him with his gun and everything. But what 
the pimp doesn't know is that not only do they have a house for prostitutes, but they have a house for ex-convicts. And some of them are 250, 350 pounds with tattoos all over and just fresh out of jail and not quite so renewed and have not been churched. And so as the van with the prostitutes are going down the road and here comes the pimp, there's these big old guys standing in front at 2, 3 in the morning. They're standing in front of the place and the van goes through the gate. But when the pimp comes up and sees these big guys, he stops, turns around and never comes back. There, there's work to do. And there's things, there is seeds in here tonight that's going to change lives forever. And we're going to have housing for the elderly. And we're going to have an orphanage. And we're going to have a place for people to be healed. But if anything, I want word of grace to be a place where people are known where they can come get healed. That there is grace that is sufficient for every need and in time of trouble. And you have healed me. In so many areas. And you have touched me. And I've healed you. And I've touched you through the Holy Spirit. And together we're going to heal the world. And we're going to do it here. And we're going to do it in the nations. We're going to do it to one another. That was an awesome word. That's People today ask me, is that, what's the vision? That's the vision of the church. To heal the broken hearted. To set a liberty to them that are bruised. Open the prisons of the captives. If you're here tonight and you need any type of prayer at all, we'll be, we're going to be here to minister to you. Cindy and I will be here and others to minister, lay hands, the prayer team. Because we want to love on you and pray for you. You may be going on the, if you see somebody going in their car and the Holy Spirit says, that person's bleeding. You go up to them and you introduce yourself and say, I just feel I need to pray with you. Right there in the parking lot. And you pray for them. Or in the store, whatever you do, be ready, be available to touch and heal and touch lives. Okay, Brother Jake wants you to know that the the life the, the uh, bands came in that uh, with the prayer to pray for uh, uh, against abortion in this nation, and many of you signed up for them, so they're in the back, and you can pick them up, uh, so that every time you see that armband, there's a prayer to prayer about forgiveness for the nation, forgive me, or it's a prayer of repentance, so that God heal our land. Listen, we love you, and we bless you, intercession Tuesday night, the Wednesday night service, and then we'll see you Sunday. Greet one another, tell them you love them, and if you need prayer, we'll be here to pray for you. God bless you, and we love you. Amen.